The Free Trail Podcast is presented by Speedland, the pioneering and innovative footwear brand from Portland, Oregon, founded by industry veteran shoe dogs, Dave Dombrow and Kevin Fallon. Speedland's mission is to create the best equipment for trail runners, period. Premium products, the best materials, small quantities, no cutting corners, and a deep commitment to our sport, trail running, the best sport in the world. A couple products to highlight, the GS Tam, my signature shoe. We still have availability up to size 10, but we've officially blown through inventory in all of the larger sizes and they're never coming back. So if you want one of the remaining pairs of the GS Tam, you better act fast. We're also still in pre-order for the GS PGH. It is still ongoing. The Cam Haynes Commission named after his home test piece. Mount Pisgah outside Eugene, Oregon. The GSPGH is like the GS TAM, but with a slightly softer and bouncier midsole compound that provides a super duper plush ride out on the trails. We anticipate fulfilling all pre-orders later in September. So jump on it now. Visit runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 to take advantage of a generous 10% discount. Runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10. Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman, here today with a fun preview of this weekend, Sierra Zanal, the 50th running of this iconic Swiss mountain race. And here to help me preview the action are Danny Moreno and MK Sullivan, two of America's top sub ultra distance athletes and the co-hosts of the Sub Hub, the relatively new podcast in the Free Trail Network, focused on the burgeoning world of sub ultra distance trail racing, a segment of the sport that I find endlessly compelling at the moment. Sierra's and all is absolutely one of, if not the most competitive races of the 2023 season. So I was eager to get the expert perspective of MK and Danny, who both participated last year and who are close to the professional athletes competing in this year's edition of the event. We talk about the history of Sierra's and all, Danny and MK's personal experience with the race in 2022, the unique course that seemingly doesn't favor anyone. We talk and preview both the men's and women's professional fields, and we finish by making some predictions. It was a super fun episode. If you aren't already, you must go subscribe to the Subhub. They are doing a great job and they have a slew of pre-race interviews with race favorites dropping in their feeds later in the week. People like Remy Bonet, Francesco Pupi, Eli Hemming, Tabor Hemming, Ninka Brinkman, Emily Forsberg, Sophia Lockley, and more. It's an insanely talented group of athletes being interviewed over on the Subhub. So make sure you go subscribe. Reminder, don't forget to play fantasy this weekend. Sears and all is, like I said, one of the most compelling races of the whole season. So we've actually decided to pick 10 deep for this race. The only race outside of Western States and UTMB where we felt that was necessary, a testament to the depth at Sears and all this year. So come play fantasy for your chance to win a free trail pro membership and some free trail merch. Fantasy.com freetrail.com. Speaking of fantasy, it was announced that Killian will unfortunately not be racing. You'll hear us mention his name many times in this episode. So just flagging that here 
On the front end, he is not racing due to injury, which we are sorry to see. Get well soon to the GOAT. A big thank you to our sponsors who make the show possible. Speedland, Gnarly Nutrition, Rourke, and HVMN. You'll hear from all these great companies later, but please visit the show notes to get deals on amazing products from these awesome brands. We've got another episode dropping later this week. Finally, a long form sit down with Free Trail co-founder and creative director, Mr. Ryan Thrower. So tune in to that in a few days. But for now... Sierra's and all, LFG. Okay, welcome everybody. Today we are doing a bit of a, a cross cast, a cross podcast here. Uh, we're going to be doing a preview of Sierra's and all, the iconic Swiss mountain race that is celebrating its 50th running this year in 2023. And joining me to break things down are our resident sub ultra distance specialists, resident sub ultra distance experts, the Subhub co-hosts, MK Sullivan and Danny Moreno. Team, how are we doing this afternoon? We're doing great. I mean, we are both super hyped and excited about this race. It's probably the biggest sub ultra race of the year. And we're in the same place, which never happens. Yeah. So <laughs> it was meant to be. I was going to say, we got to get some like Subhub branding on the walls behind I you know. Know. There, Danny's house. In Mammoth. But yeah, as I was just kind of like perusing the start lists for Sierra's and all and thinking about all the races that are coming up in August, of which there are several amazing ones, I immediately sent you guys an email and said, hey, we should do something around Sierra's and all. I want to get you two to enlighten the audience about what's going on in subultra distance racing generally, but also like focus specifically on this iconic Swiss race. So like to start and just to establish some context, maybe MK, we can start with you. You guys both ran the race last year, we should say, and I'd love to get both of you to chime in here, but maybe tell the audience a little bit about what Sierra's and all is, any context you can provide about history and your experience at the race too. Yeah. Uh, Sierra's and all is one of the more important races in Europe. Uh, this year is actually the 50th running of the race. So it's also one of the older races in our sport. Um, it's kind of, yeah, like the cross section between road runners and trail runners, which is what makes it so exciting, I think as a spectator, but also as a racer, I, I know that's the reason that I really wanted to go last year is because I have a background in road running. And so I was like, oh, this will be perfect. I didn't have the perfect day last year, but uh, nonetheless, it's like one of the more beautiful courses I've ever run at you're, or run on. You're just staring at, um, is it, uh, I'm blanking. I think it's Monterosa, isn't oh, the, it? The Matterhorn. You're staring Matterhorn. at the Matterhorn yeah. for like the second half of the race. And it's just like, you're on the opposite side of what you normally see the pictures of. And so it's just like, how am I still seeing this from so far away? It, so it was absolutely gorgeous, iconic. Danny, what do you have to say about it? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's really cool as a race because it seems to somewhat replicate what we as Americans know for our really large road marathons. That's what it feels like. It's a really big scene. Uh, there's people there the entire week, you know, leading up to the event. There's media coverage everywhere. Um, and then, you know, layer in the history and especially, you know, again, it being the 50th year when you're running that race and knowing how many greatest of all times aka goats have run there. It's just a really cool experience to, to do that as a sub ultra runner. 
Yeah, no yeah. doubt. It, it's crazy because like it's as old as Western states. They started the same year in 1974. I remember like 10 or 12 years ago talking to Ricky Gates about the race and he was one of those like early Americans who went and competed sort of during, um, you know, sort of the early 2010s era. And I recall him telling me that it was his favorite race in the world. And we all know Ricky Gates to be a man of good taste. And so I've always taken his endorsement as gospel, even though I've never been to the race myself. Uh, again, you both raced last year. MK, you said you didn't have a great day. Danny, I think you would also sort of agree yeah. <laughs> that, that you didn't have a great day either. But maybe just like tell us briefly, both you, like what the experience was like competing there and like maybe what you got wrong about the race from a competitive perspective. Um, I think for me, the race was kind of just like gone from the beginning. Um, I had gotten COVID after Montblanc marathon and I trained really hard all summer and thought I was fine. But like looking back at my heart rate data, uh, my heart rate immediately went up to like one seventies, like high one seventies. And I was like, I had lost the lead women immediately. Like I saw Danny's little butt just fly away and I was like, okay, well, first half mile, let's go. <laughs> And I just kept telling myself like, oh, you'll catch him when you get to the flat part. And um, yeah, just never really saw anybody again. <laughs> uh, but it was it was still cool because there were so many people there cheering you on, even though like you feel terrible. You're like, all right, I can keep moving. Like these people hiked all the way up here to cheer me on. I can run down this hill. <laughs> what about What about you, Danny? Um, yeah, it, it was a similar vein in that it's a race you can't like if you're not if you're having an off day there, because it is such a melting pot of really great road runners and the best of the mountain running runners of that time, uh, you will fall back like 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 places, <laughs> yeah. because it's also just such a short race too that there's really no time for error. And so for me, um, I was coming from a family thing. Uh, and uh, my time there was shortened. I didn't have time to see the course. And so it was kind of a mix of things and emotionally I wasn't ready and I wasn't my best self. And so yeah. just like that, you know, I started losing places and, you know, luckily the women out there are very encouraging. They're like, come on, Danny, come on. Danny. I was like, Bye. it's okay. I, I'll see you at the finish line. We'll have a beer there. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, just the constant screaming of fans, uh, probably similar to Boston marathon this year where people are just lined up the entire way because it's a very, uh, what's it called? Like spectator friendly course. Yeah. Like you can see us nearly the entire time. Right. Um, so that's really cool to have that. Plus just all the coverage that's going on. Yeah. yeah there, there's a tram that takes you up probably every like four miles on the course. So you can really see a lot of it. So, so awesome. And that's how I would like to enjoy the race some days. Just <laughs> go take a tram up and watch you guys absolutely red line past on the beautiful yeah. Swiss trails. And yeah, you both mentioned the depth of competition. We'll come around to talking about that, but it also seems like it's a race that's really hard to get right. And I want to talk about that here in a second too. But before we get to some of that fun stuff. I think it's important to mention too that last year was sort of a, I don't know, an infamous running of Sierras and all in that both the winners in the men's and women's races were later subsequently found to be, to have received doping infractions after 
winning Sears and all probably two of the highest profile doping infractions in trail running history. And I know that obviously like the race has taken that seriously. And I wanted both of you to maybe provide a little perspective about maybe that specifically since you were both there, but also more generally like what the anti-doping protocols are now with Sears and all, and more generally with the trail or the golden trail world series. Yeah, I would say last year it didn't feel very serious, but they've definitely taken that the blow of their two winners from last year, like being taken out of the race completely. Like that does not look good for any race. So they've completely changed their doping um, policies this year. And it looks like way better because you're not, if you already have a doping infraction, you're not even allowed to enter the race anymore. Yeah. And so, you know, upon the winner's, Uh, you know, earning their awards, there's a big ceremony at the end of it. So it's hard to not feel for those athletes that were misplaced uh, based on not knowing what those allegations were. Uh, Somebody that immediately comes to mind is Bailey Kwalsik. She had an incredible race uh, for the Americans. And it ends up that she was actually top five. You know, she was already six, which was an incredible result. But just to say, like, your top five has that much more oomph. Um, and so to have not have that moment that day, uh, I can't help but feel for her. Yeah, robbery. And it's a, you know, it's sort of a sad development in the sport, especially for, you know, all of us sort of trying to compete in the sport. But, um, yeah, I think... You know, hopefully Sears and all is taking this seriously along with Golden Trail World Series. And I think with bad things, hopefully come silver linings. And I'll be excited to see how they confront that issue now. But we've mentioned a couple of times about how this course is really unique and that it is sort of the meeting ground between road runners and trail runners. And I pulled a quote here from the great nine-time champion, Killian Journey, from the recent normal film that they released about his season just a couple of months ago. And what he said about Sears and All is that Sears and All is probably the most competitive race when it comes to trail running, which is high praise coming from Killian Jornet. He goes on to say, it's so short and it's so fast. It's the kind of terrain that doesn't fit anyone. It's too flat for the ones that come from the mountains, but it's too steep for the ones that come from the road marathon. And we all meet there and that's the greatest thing. It's a race where very different worlds are all meeting together. And you just mentioned... Uh, Bailey Kowalczyk as well. And I have her Strava file here on my computer. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen and maybe you two can react to Killian's <laughs> characterization of the, of the course there as I sort of pull this up and we'll start talking about it more specifically. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely true as uh, like, I would say I I'm still feel like a hybrid athlete in some senses because trail running is still kind of new. Um, And that double VK in the beginning is a gut punch. So if you can come out of that with legs, like great job (laughs) as a road runner, especially like, holy cow, 19 and a quarter miles, roughly with 7,000 feet of elevation. It's kind of a crazy ratio, that much elevation packed into such a short distance. But then if you look at the course profile, you see that like there are long stretches that seem mostly runnable after that double VK that MK mentioned to start. So Danny, maybe take us through like those first few miles. What's it like going up that double VK? Yes. Well, I'd love to paint for listener to or viewer that you are starting this in the afternoon when the sun is just 
beating down on you. You're sweating before the gun is even going to go off. Um, and everyone is just pushed together like a bunch of sweaty sardines. Uh, so then the gun goes off and you go on the road and you immediately just start going uphill. Like there's not even like a runnable K at all. No. Um, and you go into the trees and it almost is like people are trying to run as much as they can. As, you know, as far as they can before inevitably most people start power hiking, except maybe a couple exceptional few athletes. Um, and so it's just this hunger, <laughs> this, this terrible push all the way up until like the fifth mile. And as you can see, you know, miles three and four are both over a thousand feet per mile. And you feel that. And some of that is still a mix of asphalt and like this really rooty, uh, like single track that sometimes widens. So it's also really difficult to pass people. Mm. Um, and so even as you're power hiking, it's very uneven terrain, which I'm sure as you two, two know, makes it even tremendously harder to get up. Right. So the thing that I'm really curious about is like how you approach a race like this strategically, right? You kind of have to play into your individual strengths and weaknesses, but it feels to me like you sort of need to redline straight up this double VK to start in order to hold on on these flatter miles as you make your way further down the course towards the finish line ins and all. Is that how you guys would approach this strategically? Is it sort of like a full gas from the start and then hope to survive type event? <laughs> Yeah, I would say that's that's pretty typical. Like, you know that the Europeans are pretty much always going to go out as hard as they can. And in some senses, you might or some races, you might be able to catch up to them. But this is like not one of those races. Like you have to be going out with the, the women in the top or the men in the top. You have to be redlining because like once you get to the top, it's all running. Right. <laughs> but it's hard to make up moves at that point. Yeah. And so for those, again, who are watching us on YouTube and who can see my screen, you start at under 2000 feet of elevation. You make your way up to almost 8000 feet of elevation before finishing at about 5500 feet. So maybe we've talked about that super steep uphill to start. Walk us through sort of how the course evolves from there, because I know it's sort of like is a wider sort of forest service road for a little bit before you get on that beautiful contouring single track. So tell us about that. And also like what the underfoot conditions are like, is it, is it mostly smooth once you get to the top of the hill? Yeah, it's super, super buttery. Um, there's still some single track, but if you're like trying to pass, you'll kind of go on and off the single track. And usually there's an aid station right after the climb, uh, where last year they were kind of handing athletes bottles. What's I find, you know, looking back retrospectively is you're, you think, yay, I've made it. <laughs> it's all flat from here. And so you almost instinctually start running faster. But what you don't realize is that you are still climbing the entire race. And so, you know, now looking back, I would have told myself to not have put the gas on at all, like just recover from the climb because there's still like two, like two pretty good beefy climbs mm. that if you destroy yourself on the, like the crux of the climb, you're just, you're going to get passed by like 30 people. <laughs> yeah. I think you, you have almost like 2000 feet of climbing to go once you get to the top of that big climb. Once you get yeah. to the top of the climb and you still have 2000 feet to go. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. And I remember I like ran a bunch of the course and Bailey Kowalczyk had actually asked me, she was like, oh, how's like the top? I was like, oh, it's so runnable. It's like really nice. And after the race, she came up to me. She was like, MK, what the hell? <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm sorry. It felt really runnable when I hadn't run the first climb <laughs> the other day when I was previewing. Yeah. If you don't redline 5,000 vertical feet, then, it, then it's really runnable. Yeah. And again, looking at the course profile here and echoing what Danny said, having not spent any time on the course myself, you do still climb all the way till mile 14 of this 19 mile race. So even though the bulk of it comes in those first five miles, the following 10, you're still mostly climbing, even, even if it is gentler, more runnable terrain. Tell us about the descent, because I know it's like kind of gradual at the top and then gets steep as you drop into the finish line. Yeah, it it kind of feels like that. Um, even as you start to descend, there's still like a couple bumps and it's semi-technical. I wouldn't say it's, it's technical in the big scheme of things, but it's more technical than what you've already ran. Uh, so if you're really starting to get tired, then your eyes have to start focusing a little bit more. It can be a little bit tough. And honestly, at this point, even though you're higher in elevation, it's still pretty warm uh, historically and what we experienced last year. And it's it's really dry. So at that point, the terrain is also quite dry and starts to get a little bit slippery right before you hit into the steep descent, which you're kind of just like slipping down this single track all the way into the, the final. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because people are just throwing their bodies down this single track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because it's like that, that dry dirt with like little tiny rocks on top. So you just, you have to keep your feet moving or you're just going to slide all the way down on your butt. So tell us about kind of the finish line atmosphere. I, I always look forward to every year. There's a couple dramatic videos of some of the top men or some of the top women, like going to battle, like bumping elbows in the finishing shoot almost. So I'd love for you both to maybe paint the picture of what it's like there and in all the local activation, the local community involvement and the whole vibe around the finish line. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of a, a roar uh, of people screaming, even as you get further down on the results, uh, there's still a lot of people there and your friends will normally stick around. I had some friends yelling my name and I was like, did you finish like an hour ago and you're still here? <laughs> it was really nice of you. Um, but what's really cool about Sears now, which I think is a somewhat of a unique factor is there's prize money. I think it goes like 10 deep. Um, and then there's prize money for the course record that increases each year, but there's also time bonuses. So even if you're getting 18, 20, 21st place, you still have a really good shot of winning, you know, a couple hundred bucks. So people are just trying to, you know, cruise in and, and see if they can get under those time uh, bonuses. Yeah. Awesome. MK, this is sort of a perfect transition to talking about the fields, but maybe just add a little bit more color to the specifics of the prize money pool. Cause it actually is pretty significant, especially for those who are like kind of chasing course records. Yeah. So winners get $2,000, uh, or sorry, not dollars, Swiss francs. And, uh, they're like Danny said, they're time bonuses. So I don't remember, um, what the men's are, but I remember last year from the women's, like the first time bonus is, uh, under three hours, you got a thousand Swiss francs. And then there was like under 310, under 320. And I think under 320 was maybe like 200, 300 Swiss francs, but that's super cool to like be able to race for those, even if you're not like feeling like you're in the race. Um, and, Correct me. So the, the CR money is 
Right now it's that's, at five. That's the significant. Dollars. Yeah. That's yeah. Significant yeah. So each year that it's not broken, they add a thousand Swiss francs. And since the last course records were set in 2021, 20, yeah. oh no, 2019, I think. Yeah. 2019 was Killian. And Mod as well. Yeah. Yeah, So so that's why it's 5,000 Swiss francs right now, which, you know, if you win and get the course record, I mean, like as an American, you're looking at approximately like (laughs) $9,000, which, you know, that's just the race bonuses that you're getting. So it could be a pretty good payout day for anyone that wins this race. Yeah. yeah. Not exactly the Boston Marathon prize purse, but you know, it could Not be exactly. <laughs> it feels big for a trail. <laughs> you just have to break a, a Killian Jornet or a Mod Mathis held course record. No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> the Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and their branch chain amino acid drink mix, the product I use more than any other in my day-to-day life. The BCAA drink mix is part of my morning routine every day before I get out the door for training. I smash a serving of this delicious and essential amino acid combination. Gnarly BCAAs provide a vegan trifecta of leucine, isoleucine, and valine, which research suggests work together to increase protein synthesis and muscle growth to keep you strong and healthy on the trails. Research also shows that if consumed in the 20 to 30 minutes before exercise and even during longer training sessions, BCAAs and leucine in particular can help minimize muscle protein breakdown, thus reducing post-exercise soreness and speeding recovery between training sessions. I swear I can feel the difference in my strength, recovery, and general energy levels when I have my BCAAs and when I don't. And in all the conversation about carbohydrates and protein and calories per hour, I feel like BCAAs often get lost in the mix, even though they are by definition, essential. Don't skimp on the essentials. Pick up a can of the gnarly BCAAs at gonarly.com and use code FREETRAIL15. Gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15. Well, let's talk about some of the characters who will be hoping to break those course records this year. I know you two have a deep understanding and intimate knowledge of the characters in the sub-ultra distance racing scene. Maybe let's get started with the women. Let's talk about maybe first who some of your favorites are, and then maybe we'll get to some of the dark horses. Uh, do you want to just go back and forth on the favorites for a bit? Yes. And do we it. will practice with um, we have some really fun interviews that are going to be coming out after this episode with uh, a handful of the favorites. So definitely stay tuned for that as well. Um, all right. So our favorites, I feel like we're tied for three that we really think are are the big dogs. Um, and then the other women, it's not that they don't have a really good opportunity to win. It just depends on how they're feeling uh, on the day of the race. So we're going to start with the flying Dutch woman herself, uh, Nike Brinkman. She has a second place here uh, with 248.58, and she ran that when Maud ran the course record um, of 246.03. So if you're going to lose on the day, I feel like that might be the day that you <laughs> will get second. Um, and she also has the second fastest marathon, road marathon in Netherlands history. She re- originally had the national record until Safan Hassan recently broke it. Mm. Um, she also was the overall winner of the 20, 2022 Golden Trail World Series last year, where she absolutely dominated the entire year. 
And this will basically be her only trail race of the entire season. And then she'll be done because she's focusing on the Olympics um, after this. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun to just watch her go crush this one race. Um, the next one would be Phalaris Kasang. Uh, she is also pretty speedy along with Ninke. She's got, she's run a 108 half in the past. She was second uh, at Sears and all last year. She was also second at worlds in the vertical and is currently ranked third in the Valsir mountain running cup. A lot of which those races are like pretty similar to Sears and all where they're crazy steep and sometimes they continue and go down or they just end at the top, like more of a vertical effort. So she's, really good at this stuff already. And, um, she's also living in Austria and training in Austria right now. So I'm Danny and I are kind of scared to see like what is in her <laughs> legs now, because last year she was training in Kenya. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. And she said that this year she is including more Hills in her <laughs> training. Um, and she said that with a very big smile on her face, uh, which we think makes her very <laughs> terrifying uh, and exciting uh, for to be watching her. What's also really cool is she trains with the group, which I feel like that's a really powerful thing when you can get it right. Rad. Awesome. Awesome there. Now, who's who's the third? I, get, I think I can guess. I think she's probably an American, but... <laughs> Oof. it's kind of tough to say um it's kind of between for us i would say like judith wider and grayson murphy yep. um, it depends on how grayson is feeling like with her body uh we have complete confidence that grayson can win this whole thing if she is the grayson that showed up at worlds yep. um but i think she's definitely going to have like a great battle with ninke falaris and judith have and grayson also, and I, ninka ever raced each other no. no. <laughs> yeah. Sick. I know. Yeah. And also Grayson, I think this may be the most competitive race she's run at this distance before. Like she's done a couple of longer distance races, but I don't think she's ever run anything this competitive that wasn't a shorter race. Yeah. So I'm interested to see how that goes for her. But then yeah, obviously Judith Wider, she was second here in 2019 and she was just second at Worlds like and first at Dolmas. She's on a tear right now, so you know, I'm excited about her too. Yeah, representing the, the mom category too, which helps, you know, a lot of people like root for her extra enthusiastically and being a Swiss runner, she'll be representing her home country there. It's yours and all. And it feels like this distance is very much in her wheelhouse. If it is maybe a little bit of a stretch for somebody like Grayson Murphy, for example, but man, what a star studded group. I mean, those four women, it's, it's just, I think, testament to what we've said multiple times here in that Killian also said in that Sears and all is really like one of, if not the most densely competitive races in trail running in the world, which is awesome to see. Maybe going a little bit further down the women's start list, who are some of the women who you two know to be strong athletes who maybe fly under the radar? Yep. Uh, we have Joyce Nijiro. Um, she, uh, was third at the up down classic. And recently she won a world mountain running association race. Um, Allie Mack, we're not sure if she's racing, but I equate Allie Mack to kind of like the women's Nick, uh, Miller in that if she's in the race, she's going to make it extra exciting. And you know, she's going to take it from the gun and keep it honest. Uh, so honestly, I'd love to see her in the race. Uh, we also have Sophia Lockley, who won the Mont Blanc Marathon this year, uh, was recently second at the Dolomites Sky Race behind Judith, and is just an insane climber. She was actually supposed to run this last year, but got COVID. Um, so I'm actually really excited to see her jump on the starting line. 
Same. Yeah, and then we have, uh, and I'm probably saying this wrong, but it's Miao Yao. She was second at Mont Blanc Marathon. Uh, she won CCC back in 2018. So she's got pretty good legs on, you know, she's strong and also she's fast. Uh, Therese Labouf. Actually, we have like a the duo of Therese and Daniela, who both did this crazy Zagama Worlds Mont Blanc Marathon back to back, and they crushed all three of those races. <laughs> so I think that they like, Maybe in another year in my head, they have a better chance. I think they have to be pretty recovered to do well at this race because I think all three of, or both of them were pretty kind of trashed after that. But who knows? I mean, Dress is a Swiss woman as well. So you never know. Yeah. And then uh, Nuria Gill, always like up in the top. I think uh, she was eighth at Sierra Zanal, um last year. She was second at OCC, right in front of Danny. Yeah, you and Danny and, and Nuria had a good <laughs> battle there at OCC. Yeah. And um, she, but like with Nuria, I was looking at her race results for this year. And it seems since Thailand last year, she hasn't quite been on. She had a DNF at Mont Blanc Marathon. And uh, I think she was like 28th or 30th at Worlds. So I'd be surprised, but she's run this race so many times that, you know, it's a, Definitely an experience type race. Maybe it's her comeback race after a couple yeah. of disappointing ones. Yeah. So, and so. last but not least, we have Lucy McGeary. Um, she has won this race three times. And I just feel like you can never count out somebody that's won this race. And if you won it three times, odds are you mostly have cracked code. I, to me, this is similar to the Boston Marathon. Just because you nail it one year doesn't mean you're going to nail it the other <laughs> year. But Three times, uh, that's pretty, you know, the proof is in the pudding there. <laughs> yeah, totally. What about Bailey? Is Bailey going to run again this year? I don't think so. Mm. But Tabor Hemming will be there, and she was 10th last year, moved up to 9th, I think, with the doping um, issues. So, I mean, she knows the course. She's a very good climber, so I could see her doing well again. Yeah. Well, between Grayson and Sophia Lockley, I think that gives the Americans a, a pretty awesome dynamic duo that will be competitive for podium or potentially the victory. I just like in looking at the start list now, and I should provide the caveat that there I'm sure will be a lot of movement in the start list and some of the names that we mentioned here will likely be subtracted from the start list. But it seemed like the American depth was pretty remarkable on the women's side. I know, for example, like MK, you're not running, even though you're on the start <laughs> list. We think Allie Mack likely won't run. We think Janelle Lynx likely won't run. But like Kimber Maddox is on the list. I don't know if we know about her. Erin Clark, not she's not running? Yeah. Okay. But yeah. Like, so yeah, so the, the American women, we were, we were coming out hot at the beginning of the year. And then I think we all were like, wait, it's three weeks from OCC? Yeah. Oh, I don't know about that. Every, yeah, well... <laughs> It is a, a little bit close, but, you know, either way, like, it's going to be a super exciting uh, year of racing here at Sierras and all. And then, I mean, also, Anna Gibson. Is Anna Gibson going to be racing? Because she really... I hope so. Yeah, she really impressed me at uh, the Broken Arrow Sky Race, where she had an awesome sort of, uh, you know, trail running experience before going back and racing NCAA championships before just signing her professional contract with Brooks just a couple of weeks ago. It'd be awesome to see her make her real professional trail debut at Sears and all. So I guess we'll, it'll be a TBD on some of these other American characters, but no, no American woman has won since Megan Lazote did in 2010. I think we have a really good shot this year. No American man has won since 1982 when the legend Pablo V Hill 
secured his fourth and final victory. It's yours and all. Speaking of the men, let's do the same thing. Tell us about your favorites, and then we'll go into the dark horses. So I think our favorites are a little kind of TBD as well, but um, on the men's side, our kind of top three, I would say, would be Killian Jornet, CR record holder. You know, he's won this race nine times. Last year he was fifth, but like he was celebrating and got passed by somebody. He was fourth, ended up getting fifth. Um, and so like he's just, you never know with Killian. He could show up and you might think, oh, it's not his year, but it's like it's like courtney it's like oh she's got to be tired from western stage she can't just break the course record at hard rock and then you're like oh yeah it's courtney plus killian again finished fourth last or fifth last year and for him that's like a terrible result right he's one of the rare athletes where he has far more victories than non-victories in his personal results database. And I'm sure he probably wants to avenge that and nine time champion. I'm sure he probably wants to make that around 10, like he did with Zagama uh, last year. So anyway, last year he had COVID. He was like, one of the slew of people that got COVID from the nor- the race in Norway. And so I think he actually raced with COVID and then like found out that he had it afterwards. So it makes sense, you know, that he only got fifth or whatever. And then, but, and then won UTMB in a course record, like yeah. two and a half weeks later or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Patrick Kipniego. He was second at Sears and all last year um, after the, uh, he was moved up. And he's the back-to-back VK champion. He was a champion in Thailand. He was a champion in Austria. He won Theon Dixon last year, right before Sears and all. And this year, he's not planning on doing that double. So he's coming in fresh. And then our third guy would be Remy Bonet. Uh, He just won Mont Blanc Marathon and a new course record. I think he beat John Albin's course record by like 30 seconds. Um, and he absolutely demolished the golden trail world series last year. Like, I think he won the stage race on day three and they were like, yeah, it's all right. You can keep running. So I'm excited. And he's a Swiss man. So this would mean a ton for him. Yeah. And he's, he's not won this race before. So I wanted to spend some time on Remy, if you don't mind. And maybe Danny, I'll I'll tee you up on this because, you know, I've been a long time admirer of Remy's and I think he very much like represents this new age of hyper talented runners. He's also world champion ski mountaineer, but I wondered if you thought this course like is actually made for him because you know, up to last year in his career where he really stepped into his own as being like the best in the world and sort of the short distance stuff, winning the Golden Trail World Series. He was more known as like a VK uphill specialist who could then like his weakness was on the downhill and people like Steon or Davide or other, you know, these short distance specialists would usually catch him on the downhill. So Sears and all sort of feels like it's made for Remy where you do climb for the bulk of the first 14 miles and then you have the downhill. But what do you think about that, Danny? And anything else you want to say about what makes Remy special specifically? Yeah, Remy is like he has one of those running forms that like you just dream about when you're kind of drawing up a perfect runner, uh, no matter if he's going uphill flat or down, like he just has a very fluid way about him. And I feel like I didn't really catch the oddness of him until the golden trail world series staged race last year, where I unfortunately got DQ'd, but I had the, the, ability to then watch everybody and just watching him run on any sort of terrain. It just like, 
he was not phased by anything. Um, so, and you could tell he's improved a lot on his downhill skills. And so that's kind of to say that like his work ethic is there. Like he's a true professional athlete 24 seven and just chatting with him, you know, for his little short preview, he's, his mileage is up and he's been incorporating a lot more speed training into, you know, getting prepped for Sears and Al. Um, so I honestly think this might be his year. Uh, it just depends on, you know, which Killian is showing up this year and Patrick Kipnego really wants to win. Um, but I think Remy also really wants to win because again, there's that Swiss pride. It's like an American winning a, a marathon major in America. Um, but yeah, he's, he's uber talented. And I honestly, after last year, I think he's about to start one of those, you know, incredible life campaigns that Killian has had for the past decade. I think Remy is like starting to do that. Maybe the next Killian. Anything you want to add there, MK? No, I mean, I think we don't want to give too much away on our like 15 minute episode, but just talking to him about training, like I think he's very ready for this race. Oh, can't wait for that one. All right, cool. So if we agree that those are likely the the top three favorites, who else are you looking at? And who are some of the, the men who you guys have experience interacting with on this sub ultra distance circuit that you think could turn some heads at Sears and all. Yeah. Petru Mamu. Uh, I really enjoy watching him race because he always just goes for it. He's always in that front group, regardless of where he may end up in the race. Uh, but Sears and Al, he's had, uh, some great, he's had, three races there and he's been on the podium each time he has a third place a second place and he's won it in 2016 uh robbie simpson is another one he's raced there four times and he has two second places a fifth place and a ninth place um so again just because you like knock it out of the park one year doesn't mean you're going to knock it out the other year but i think having that experience on this course is a huge advantage for these runners uh tebow baronian he, uh, MK is a big Tebow fan. So am I, but he just, he's a gamer. He shows he up and he performs yeah. and he's very like crazy consistent, um, in right. the best way possible. Yeah. Yeah. He's also one of those guys that like races a ton and you're like, there's no way he's going to be able to keep doing this. And then it just consistently is like in the top five to 10 at golden trail races, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I was kind of thinking that he's kind of the guy who seems to also just be knocking on the door, waiting for his big breakthrough too. You mentioned he's just like remarkably consistent, like always contending for the podium, top five, top 10. He's like rarely has a bad one. So Thibaut Baroni and the great young Frenchman, uh, it'll be fun to see him race here too. What about Eli Hemming Is he, with Taylor oh, yeah. racing? He's got to be there too. I'm actually yeah. recording. We're going long form with, uh, with Eli Hemming on, on my show tomorrow. I'm super excited to, to chat with him, but I'd love to hear any insights you guys have about Eli. Cause it feels like he's knocking on the door too. Like he could definitely be on the podium here. Yeah, I would say last year for Eli was a great year, and this is already turning out to be like a fantastic year. Uh, he was the first American at Sears and all last year. I don't remember where he finished, but I think it was like 21st, so it wasn't anything like crazy. Um, but this year already, he crushed Broken Arrow. He was second at Montblanc Marathon behind Remy, and I think he ran that race like pretty smart. I don't think he went out like with Remy. I think he caught people as the race went on. And so I think he's just ready. He's really fit right now. And yeah, he's definitely knocking on the door. I think he's in the top 10 and if he has a good day, top five, maybe even so. Awesome. And then, uh, fan favorite Francesco Poopy. 
Uh, he's run this race six times. Um, in 2016, he was third. That was definitely his best result, but he's definitely been like, he's had some weird injuries over the last five yeah. years. Like he's broken his shoulder and his elbow, elbow. or something like that. But he, I mean, he crushed at worlds, uh, even though he was, t- you know, saying like, oh, I'm not really that fit right now. He went out, crushed worlds. He ran really well at, um, was that Valderin? Lavaredo. Oh, Lavaredo. And um, yeah, I mean, I think he's, He's top five probably in my in my book unless he just like doesn't have a day. Yeah, and, and this course really kind of suits a guy like Francesco too, who's got like crazy leg speed. Uh, those miles along the contour on the top of the hill there definitely suit him probably more so than those opening miles do. So for him, it's probably about containing the damage on that double VK to start and then using his leg speed to hopefully catch up to some of the guys. Any other names you want to mention on the men? Maybe we make a couple predictions and then we can kind of wind things down here. Yeah. I just really want to re- uh, mention Robert Pickmoy. Um, so, you know, why I think he should, I think he'll be in the top five last year at Trans Grand Canaria, which is, I think kind of becoming the unbespoken kickoff to the sub ultra mountain running season. It's in February and it's, it's a marathon that's kind of net downhill. Uh, in 2022, he was sixth, and this year he won the entire thing. Um, so if you could talk about learning and picking up on the sport pretty quick, last year was his first year in the sport and this year he won it. Um, and last year he was six in Mont Blanc and he was six at Sears now. So, you know, if, if anything's gonna, you know, replicate that type of, results um i could see him finishing up a little bit higher this year awesome. and also i think like honorable mention jian jian shing uh shen he was just fourth at western states so like if he is recovered from that like he went out pretty hard like he's fast i wouldn't be surprised if he's like up in that top group in the beginning yeah awesome yeah it's so cool to see like american talent european talent african talent Chinese talent like Shen and and Mao Yao. It's like truly a world-class event that draws the best from all four corners of the globe. The best gear isn't born in a factory. It is inspired by real people challenging themselves to explore new parts of the world. That's why I love Rourke. Their team pulls design inspiration straight from the cultures and climates of new destinations to create durable and comfortable styles that can take you straight from the trail to the coffee shop or the bar trail culture. If you know what I mean for over 10 years, Rourke has explored the globe to seek adventure on the road, less traveled grounded in the joy of travel. Each Rourke collection is inspired by a specific location around the world. And each includes a give back because Rourke believes in leaving a positive impact on the places that host their adventures. Rourke's latest collection, is inspired by a trip to Hokkaido, Japan, featuring Japanese prints and patterns, and free troll fans will especially love the Rourke Run Amuck line. It's functional running gear that goes against traditional activewear styling, so you never have to choose between performance and personality. I've been rocking Rourke's Mathis Core t-shirt recently. The cut reminds me of my favorite cotton t-shirts, but with dry-release jersey knit material, it dries so much faster, so again, I can wear it 
while I'm out ripping on the trails or when I'm podcasting in my garage, go check out the whole Run Amok apparel collection. And for a limited time, as one of my listeners, you can get a 15% discount off your first order. Go to Rourke.com, use code FREETRAIL15 at checkout. Don't wait. That's R-O-A-R-K.com and use code FREETRAIL15. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by HVMN and the Ketone IQ Supplement. Ketone IQ has become a huge phenomenon in endurance sport in recent years, allowing athletes of all levels to access new levels of performance. It was first adopted in cycling, especially among the professional ranks, but it's now finding its way into the running world, which is awesome and with great success. I recall seeing British ultra star Tom Evans smashing a ketone IQ as he jumped in the raft at the Rucky Chucky River Crossing on his way to victory, the 2023 Western States. Well, if it's good enough for Tom, it's good enough for me. Ketone IQ was invented by HVMN to help athletes of all levels reach their physical potential by boosting cognitive performance. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you know that your brain is key to performing at your best as a runner from fatigue resistance to improved focus and mental clarity. Ketone IQ can give you deeper brain power when the miles and exhaustion start to add up. This is something you really have to experience to understand. So make sure you give Ketone IQ a try. You can save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30. Again, visit hvmn forward slash free trail 30 and subscribe upon checkout for 30% off. There is a link in the show notes of this episode as well. Thanks to HVMN. Let's make some predictions. I'll put myself on the spot first, just so, uh, you know, we, we all hang ourselves out to dry here. I got to pick Killian, you know, it's just, it's like picking against Courtney, picking against Killian is just silly. And <laughs> I, I think that he's probably super motivated after not winning last year. He hasn't raced this year. I think his CR is in play and he may take home that extra bonus if he'd have to run like 225 low, I think, in order to break his own course record there. And then I'm picking Grayson Murphy. Come on, Americans. Not since Megan Lazote is an American female one here uh, in 2010. And uh, Grayson Murphy going a little bit beyond her comfort zone in terms of like mostly verticals and up-down races. This being 19 plus miles with 7,000 feet of climbing. I still think she's world-class material who I would love to see take home the victory. Who wants to go next? I can go. I'm going to, I'm going to pick Remy Bonet as my winner on the men's side. I just think like he's, he's hungry right now and he's home, basically home course advantage. Like I think it's his year. And then on the women's side, I just, I have a hard time not picking Ninke Brinkman. I just think if she's like healthy and she's like ready to go, she's already gotten second on this course in one of the fastest times in history. Like, I don't know. I, I think it's Ninke. Dang. <laughs> <laughs> There's no wrong answers here, Danny. We're just. We're I know. Just I think I'm just going to, you know, play the card of being different. I'm going to go with Patrick uh, Kipnego. Watching him, you know, some of the VK stuff from Worlds this year, it that was a crazy performance on his end. He just like, uh, just from the gun, just went after it. Um, and just chatting with him, he seems very motivated to win this race. Like this is. This is an A goal for him this year. And then on the women, 
I am very torn. <laughs> the America, I really would love to see Grayson win and bring that home for, for America. But it is, uh, with Ninke having more experience in these longer races, it's like also hard. So I'm going to, you know, kind of duck out and, and pick them both. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's an acceptable answer. That's acceptable. Either way, it's going to be amazing for the sport and for those of us who are diehard fans to see Grayson and Ninka on the same start line together. So knock on wood, let's hope they both make it through this, these last few <laughs> days without issue and we can have that entertainment. But yeah, I guess just to, to close things down here, sort of telling the audience about how they can follow the race. We think it's only going to be streamed on Eurosport over in Europe. So North American fans likely won't be able to follow it live, at least from like a live streaming perspective, though we do anticipate highlights will be released on the Golden Trail World Series YouTube channel quickly after the race finishes. Any closing remarks or ways to follow the race or anything else you want to leave the audience with? Uh, I would say that Golden Trail World Series, if you don't follow them on Instagram, they're really good at like live updating their stories um, with videos, pictures, and also like standings as the race goes on. So another great way to, if you can't watch it on Eurosport to just keep up. Totally. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm really excited to see this race this year. Uh, my gut is telling me at least one of the course records is going down. I think the women's record is for sure. I, I'm leaning more towards the women, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the men's course record goes down. And, you know, if an American could win this year, that would be, I think, a huge thing for, for us. Uh, so that'd be really cool. Legendary. 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 <laughs> Well, awesome. Well, thank you two so much. Super fun to sort of hear you two sort of dispel the wisdom about this subultra distance category in Sierras and all. Specifically for our audience, I want to remind you, go play fantasy. We've got a great fantasy competition for this year's Sierras and all. It's going to be one of the most competitive races of the year and therefore one of the most fun and entertaining fantasy competitions of the year. Also, but again, thank you, Danny, MK Sullivan. Appreciate you guys coming on the show. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having us. There you have it, folks. Hope we got you sufficiently pumped up for the race this weekend. Again, make sure you subscribe to the Subhub wherever you're listening now for the athlete interviews that are going to be dropping in your feed over the next couple of days. And another reminder, obviously, to play fantasy this weekend, fantasy freetrail.com. If you're in the market for some coaching, look no further than the Free Trail Experts, where our co-hosts today, MK Sullivan and several other talented individuals are ready, willing, and able to help you reach your potential as a trail runner. No matter what your goals are, we are ready to help you get there. Visit freetrail.com forward slash free trail dash experts or click the link in the show notes to learn more. A big thank you to our sponsors, Speedland, runspeedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10 on the great footwear, Gnarly Nutrition, gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off the great nutrition products, HVMN, get 30% off your first subscription of Ketone IQ by visiting hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30. Finally, Rourke, visit Rourke.com and use code free trail 15 for 15% off this cool apparel brand. Have an awesome week, everybody. We'll chat soon. Love you. Bye. Bye.